let's jump into uh, Proverbs 31. I mean, where else would we be other than uh, Proverbs 31 today? So, so we're going to explore that a little bit. Um, but I, I want to remind us that this idea of Mother's Day uh, has a, a pretty unique history. Um, before the card companies got a hold of it, before Hallmark got a hold of it and made it into um, what it is today in American life, it began in a little town called Grafton, West Virginia. And, and so I want to share a little bit of the history of Mother's Day with you. It's special to me because my birth certificate has West Virginia on it. That's where I was born. Uh, I lived there for three months, and then I, I got out of there as fast as I could. You know, because three months old, they have the agency to make those kinds of decisions. And so I decided I was done with West Virginia, moved to South Carolina and lived there uh, until I went to college. But um, in Grafton, West Virginia, a lady named Ann Jarvis, she held a memorial service for her mother, who was an exceptional lady. And this memorial service, it sparked an idea in her. She decided that, that we needed to set aside time to honor our mothers. We needed to set aside time to honor the influence and impact that they have. And, and so that is sort of the origin of the first Mother's Day. And it really began with uh, Ann Jarvis remembering the exceptional life of her mom, Anna Jarvis, also known as Mama Jarvis. And I want to share a picture with you of Mama Jarvis. And she just lived a pretty amazing life. She uh, was a nurse during the Civil War. And she was recognized as one of the angels of the battlefield. And this was common in the Civil War, but the angels of the battlefield, they were those nurses that rushed into the battle zones and they cared not only for the soldiers of whatever side they were on, but they cared for soldiers on both sides of the conflict. And uh, Mama Jarvis was a staunch uh, revolutionary abolitionist. She was very committed to the cause of abolition, uh, and yet... She cared for soldiers uh, of the Confederacy as well. She nursed them back to health with the same love, the same concern as those that fought for her cause. Interestingly, both Jarvis girls were also active in, in lobbying uh, and advocating for women to have the right to vote. And they were, they were suffragettes, as it was known. And, uh, and so they were very active in that. And so Mama Jarvis just lived a very exceptional life. She devoted herself to many noble causes, doing a lot of amazing things in her life. And her impact was felt in the life of her daughter. We see that in the life of her daughter. Um, pretty exceptional woman. So her daughter Anne, with this kind of activist spirit, began to lobby President Woodrow Wilson to make Mother's Day an official holiday. I find it ironic that someone who didn't have the right to vote had the influence and the clout to be able to lobby the president to make uh, Mother's Day an official holiday. And uh, she was successful in that. Before she was able to vote, she was able to get Mother's Day recognized as an official holiday in 1914. And uh, we really, I could tell you more about the Jar Jarvis girls. They're pretty exceptional ladies. Uh, but you can, you can research that and you can learn more about them on your own. What I want you to see about these ladies is their character. This, their, their character, their grit, their determination. Uh, they are noble women, and they embody all that this day should be. This day has become about a whole lot more than what they originally envisioned for it. In fact, our culture doesn't do near as much to celebrate 
the qualities of these Jarvis girls as it does to celebrate youth and beauty. I would say to you today that as we think about womanhood, the defining characteristics that shape our image of of what womanhood is or should be is youth and, and beauty. We idolize youth in our culture. We idolize beauty in our culture. We do everything to maintain it. Think about the the rise of plastic surgery and Botox and creams to eliminate lines on your eyes and the, the big business that that is. We do everything we can to hang on to our youth and hang on to beauty. I heard some folks in their early 30s, this was recently, they were joking around about how old they were. One of them had a gray hair. And they were talking about, oh, I'm so old. Look at this gray hair. And they laughed about that. And I just want to say, in your 40s, it's not funny anymore. It's not, it's not funny at all. And I know there are some people in the room that are saying, oh, pastor, you ain't seen nothing yet. You ain't seen nothing yet. And that's what I love about being part of the church, this intergenerational group of people all trying to follow Jesus that a group of people can surround me and say, oh, you ain't seen nothing yet. Just, just wait. Just keep living life. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. Keep trusting the Lord because uh, those hairs are going to get more gray and those lines on your face are going to increase and you better hang on and trust the Lord through it all. So I appreciate those influences in my life. But yeah, these people in their 30s joking around about being old. I got something, I got something for them. <laughs> got something for all of us. Proverbs 31 at the end says this. We're going to work our way backwards through it today. Beauty is fleeting. Youth and beauty are fleeting. They're passing away. They're transient. And I think deep down we all know this. Like deep down we all know we can't stay young forever. Deep down we know that, uh, that, that our beauty is, is fading away. But our culture wants us to think that that is not the case. Our culture wants us to think that we can somehow maintain it, that somehow we can get enough surgeries or get enough creams or do enough things or position the filter on Instagram just the right way so that we look young and vibrant and healthy forever. And this external beauty that we have is, is ultimately passing away. And, and that's what I want to ask us today on this Mother's Day. What is it that you value that deep down you know it ultimately is going to fade away? What is it that you value that will ultimately fade away? If you want to know what you value, it's really easy. Where do you spend your money and where do you spend your time? That's what you value. It's the easiest diagnostic you'll ever ever run on yourself is where do I spend my money? Where do I spend my time? That is what I value. And do you value things that fade away? away. And this fading away is the bad news of Scripture. You know, Scripture is a bad news, good news kind of story. It tells the bad news of how sin entered into God's good creation. And because sin entered into God's good creation, that which was created good, very good, now is subject to death and decay and atrophy. Our life is fading away. It's transient. It's like a vapor It's here one day and gone the next. That's the bad news. But the story of God tells good news as well. In fact, every time the Bible tells a story of bad news, it always follows it with that conjunction. But there's good news. 
There is good news in, in Scripture here. And, this, and the good news is this, is that God has a plan to produce beauty in us that becomes rather than beauty that fades away. Now, our culture is chasing beauty that's ultimately going to fade away, but God in Christ, through the presence of his Holy Spirit that's here today, has a plan to produce beauty in us that becomes. It becomes richer, it becomes fuller, it becomes stronger, it becomes more vibrant, it becomes more alive as we follow Jesus. And this is the story of the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31. She is not living a life of beauty that fades away. She's living a life of beauty that becomes. This, this is shared with us in Scripture so that we can see the person that she is becoming and be inspired by that. I want us to, to revisit Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 31. And, and don't worry about those pages that just fell out of my Bible. It's the, it's the, it's the note from the editor and it's the title page. So Holy Scripture is not on the floor here today. So I just want you to be okay with that. But it might bother you, some of you, so I'm going to pick it up. I know, oh, all the OCD people happy? All right. Proverbs 31. Let's revisit that. Verse 10. Who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She is worth more than precious rubies. Her husband can trust her, and she will greatly enrich his life. She will not hinder him, but help him all her life. She finds wool and flax and busily spins it. She's like a merchant ship. She brings her food from afar. She gets up before dawn to prepare breakfast for her household and plan the day's work for her servant girls. She goes out to inspect the field and buys it. With her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She's energetic and strong, a hard worker. She watches for bargains. Her, light, her lights burn late into the night. Her hands are busy spinning thread, her fingers twisting fiber. She extends a helping hand to the poor and opens her arms to the needy. She has no fear of winter for her household because they all have warm clothes. She quilts her own bedspreads. She dresses like royalty in gowns of finest cloth. Her husband is well known for he sits in the council meeting with the other civic leaders she makes belted linen garments and sashes to sell to the merchants. She's clothed with strength and dignity, and she laughs with no fear of the future. When she speaks, her words are wise, and kindness is the rule when she gives instruction. She carefully watches all that goes on in her household and does not have to bear the consequences of laziness. Her children stand and bless her. Her husband praises her. They are many, there are many virtuous and capable women in the world, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty does not last, but a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. Reward her for all she has done. Let her deeds publicly declare her praise. This is a, a very famous passage of Scripture, and uh, I was trying to think about the last time we read it. Oh, wait, it was a year ago today. It's always, typically, a lot of times, read on, that, on Mother's Day. And we think about this picture of this virtuous woman that concludes the book of Proverbs. What, there's some structure there to the poem that make it pretty interesting for what we're doing here today. There are 22 verses, and each verse 
starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It forms an acrostic. And it is the writer's way of saying this vision of this woman that I am painting for you, it exceeds language. She is excellent from A to Z. She is beautiful from A to Z. Uh, there, is, there is no one more exceptional than her. And that is why the, the poem begins with this exclamation, a wife of noble character, a woman of noble character. Who can find? Who can find? Who, I dare you to find someone as amazing as this. Now, I would just say parenthetically that I'm blessed. Not only was I raised by a woman like this, but I married a woman like this. So, so I, I'm, I know I'm biased in that, but, but as the author says, who can find a woman like this? I, I read it and I say, well, I found two. I'm pretty blessed, pretty amazing, pretty amazing. But it is a picture of who we can, not just women, it's a picture of who we can become as we surrender our life to Christ and live in a way that, that allows beauty to become in our life. There are two things here I want to point out. There's multiple things we could point out in the poem, but, but I want us to think about, about two things. The, the first is this image of motherhood, the constant motherly care of the woman in Proverbs chapter 31. It is a sight to behold. Um, it is valiant. It is, it is courageous. It is studious. It is, it is an amazing portrait of a woman who works so hard for her family. I just want to look at a few verses again. Verse 15 says, she gets up while it is still night. Uh, any ladies in the house resonate with that? As you think about getting your family out the door, on the bus, to school, does that all sound familiar? She gets up while it is still night. She provides food for her family, portions for her female servants. Verse 21, when it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. This, this picture of motherly care. Not only does she take care of her immediate family, those in her household, but it extends to others. Look at verse 20. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. This place that she has created in her home is also extended to those in need. Isn't that awesome? That, that her, her, the hospitality that, that she creates in her home is not just for her immediate family, but to anyone in need. There's more that we could highlight, but uh, you know, I just read the passage for you, and it's pretty safe to say, man, this girl is busy. This girl is really, really, really busy. Um, and I think we can relate to a lot of that. Do you remember all the stuff that got canceled last May, you know, because of coronavirus? And we were kind of sitting around here in May, and we were like, man, not as busy as it normally is. Well, all of that is back. The graduations are back, and the parties are back, and the end of school is back. All of that is back in full effect, and uh, we're busier now than we ever have been. You know, May is like December, in terms of busyness, except you don't get two weeks of Christmas vacation. All right? It's just you just like roll into summer and you just and you just keep going. And if you're in the midst of that right now, which you are, especially for the moms in the room, the last thing you need to hear from the preacher is this exhaustive list of all the things you're supposed to do for your family. You thought you were busy when you came in here, and then you read Proverbs 31 and you're like, girl, give me a break. 
Not only are you taking care of your, your family, but you're selling stuff and you're weaving stuff and you're and man, you've got, you're involved in like the PTA and all this stuff. Man, you've got you've to calm down. You've got you to slow down a little bit, girl. And if you came in here a little bit exhausted, the last thing I want you to feel today is that you're not doing enough. I don't think that is the spirit of this passage. In fact, actually, I think this is a day where we need to pause and recognize, in a lot of ways, the disproportionate amount of work that women do to keep our households running efficiently and smoothly. Maybe, maybe a, a preacher needs to stand up and, and say that on a Sunday morning. I was reading an article by a psychologist and a sociologist, and they were describing, and they were both female, so I believed what they were saying. Had this been written by a man, I probably would not have. But they were describing the additional emotional and cognitive work that women do in a, in a relationship and in a household. Um, keeping the family calendar and stressing out about meal planning and making sure people are where they need to be and all of this emotional and cognitive work that men just do not have a compartment for that, Okay. Uh, but the female brain is more interconnected than the male brain, and so all of this stuff is buzzing around up there, and, uh, and, and men are just kind of keeping things in their compartments. But the woman in the household is, is doing all this emotional, cognitive work, and, and they summarized it as, as four things. They are anticipating what needs to happen. They are identifying what they need to do. They're making decisions about what needs to happen. And then they're monitoring to, to make sure things actually get executed. And all of that's going on in the interconnected female brain. And in the male brain, we just have this little section right here. And this is our Xbox section. And this is our sports section. And meanwhile, is going on. And maybe we just need to pause and recognize that. In fact, guys, don't be this guy right here. Look at this. Here's a tweet. I spend way too much time thinking about the woman on here who tweeted about moving out of her apartment after three years and her husband remarking, can you believe the soap dispenser in the sink never ran out of soap? Guys, you'll get it in a second. It's not a magic soap dispenser. The woman in the house was refilling the soap dispenser, guys. It's not magic. It doesn't happen automatically. Someone had to think about it, and they did. And we are so thankful for them. So we pause. We recognize this place that women that women fill in our lives and the extra work that they're carrying. You're already carrying so much. And so what I don't want to do is take Proverbs 31 and heap it on you and say, oh, in addition to all the other things, do you have some wool? Do you have some flax? Have you made winter clothes yet? What are you doing for the poor and the needy? Let's put some more stuff on your plate. What this passage is doing for the people of God, not just the women, for all of us, what this passage is doing for us, it is painting a picture 
of what the sum of one's life could look like. There's no way she does this all in one day. It is a total picture of what your life can look like when you make a commitment to beauty that becomes rather than beauty that fades. When, when you think about living a life that becomes more like Jesus, that becomes more engaged in his mission in the world, that is not governed by your own selfish choices, but is governed by who God is calling you to be and what God is calling you to do. The sum of daily choices over the course of a lifetime produces this kind of beautiful life. And it is a beautiful life that lasts and it grows and it, and it, it becomes who God has called us to be. And just as a side note, Mom, if today you're feeling overwhelmed, if you missed something on the calendar and you're feeling guilty about that, if your kid didn't like your broccoli, let me just say this to you. I love what novelist Jill Churchill said. There is no way to be a perfect mother and a million ways to be a good one. There's a million ways to be a good mom. And the way that you're doing it right now is a good way. And we're cheering you on and we say keep it up. So the passage paints this picture of motherly care, but it also paints this picture of this woman with single-hearted affection for her husband, the king. Look at verse 11 and 12. Her husband has full confidence in her, lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. Her affection, her gaze, her love is transfixed upon her husband, the king. And this verse begins with the Hebrew letter bet, which means house. And it is an image that is, that is wanting us to see that the, the reciprocation of love that happens from the woman to the man, from the man to the woman, it creates a safe place. It creates a home. And in this reciprocation of love, because both are equally committed to the other, the relationship is strong and it's growing and it's beautiful and it's something that we can emulate in our relationships as well. So naturally, with this amazing picture of motherly care, with this amazing relationship between the king and the woman, the passage just ends famously like we're all familiar with or you may be familiar with. Verse 28, her children arise and they call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all her hands have done and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. And so this hymn of the virtuous woman, it concludes, and it is good news for us whose beauty is fleeting. Our human beauty is feeding, fleeting and passing away. And that's all of us. But we are living in this life, and, and this life is ultimately passing away. But there's good news that we can live a life that becomes. And it is good news. And I hope you hear it as good news today, that your life can become more than it is now in Christ. But I wonder if maybe we're reading this passage the wrong way. I, maybe, maybe we get this wrong. Maybe we get this wrong once a year when we read this passage. 
I mean, there are some things here for Mother's Day that can encourage us, but I begin to think about, okay, if the king represents God, and specifically, if the king in this passage prefigures Jesus, if Jesus is the husband in this passage of Proverbs 31, well, then, then who's the virtuous woman? And the answer from Scripture is, it's the church. It's, it's not just a passage of Scripture directed to women. It is a passage of Scripture directed to the entire body of Christ. And, and Paul makes this connection over in Ephesians chapter 5. He talks about the relationship between men and women and, and what should govern the marriage relationship and what that should look like. And then he gets to verse 32 and he says, This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Throughout Scripture, here and other places, the relationship between the church and Christ is described as the relationship between a husband and a wife. And what Proverbs 31 does for us, it functions as a mirror. It is a mirror that God places in the Bible so that the people of God can stand before it and we can see ourselves the way God sees us. We can see ourselves the way Jesus sees us. We can look inside this mirror and for the first time we can see what God sees and how God views the church. You know, the, the church doesn't always get the best reputation both inside and outside of the church. We are constantly cleaning up messes and we're constantly trying to make excuses for the ways that we failed in the world and how leaders have failed. And, you know, sometimes we just aren't loving the way we're supposed to love. And sometimes we don't extend kindness the way we're supposed to extend kindness. And, and this tends to dominate the headlines. And, you know, generally people have a pretty positive view of Jesus, but they kind of have a negative view of the church. And ultimately that's unhealthy. Ultimately what this passage is wanting us to do is see ourselves, see the church the way God sees the church, the way the king sees the church. And it's not because of our righteousness. It's not because of what we have done. It's because of what Christ has done. Because Christ's righteousness is now imparted to the church. And we, the bride of Christ, we're able to take off the robe of hypocrisy and we're able to take off the, the robe of, of being uncharitable and we're able to take off the robe of not being kind and, and we're able to take off this robe of being selfish in so many ways and we're able to put on this robe of Christ. It's a bright, spotless, clean robe and because of what Christ has done, we're able to put this bridal gown on and we're able to walk into the world and point people to our husband, Jesus. We're able to walk into the world and say, we're in relationship with the king. Look what the king has done for me, and you can be a part of this relationship as well. And so I want us to revisit Proverbs 31. And I want us to look at the beauty of who we are becoming in Christ. Because of this bridal garment that's been given to us by Christ, who are we as the church? And the Lord says this, a church of noble character, who can find? Who can find a church like this? This would be far greater, of greater worth than rubies, 
Jesus has full confidence in this group of people, and they lack nothing of value. The church brings Jesus good, not harm, all the days of her life. Oh, church, could we look in the mirror and could we live that out? Could we say because of the robe of Christ that we wear, because of the Holy Spirit that is in us, could we walk into the world and could we cease to bring the church, that bring Jesus harm? And could we begin to live in ways that advance his mission in the world? This is what Jesus sees. This is his vision for us. The church brings Jesus good, not harm, all the days of her life. And what is, how are we going to do that? Because the church works with eager hands. The church recognizes there is a mission. The church gets up while it is still night, when no one else wants to engage in the things of God, when no one else wants to do what needs to be done in the world. The church is up, and the church is Adam. And the church is up while it's still night and providing food for her family. Not only for her family, but look at what the church does next. The church opens her arms to the poor, not just the physically poor, not just the economically poor, but the emotionally poor, the people who've walked through 14 months of pandemic and they're isolated and they're depressed and they need someone to encourage them and strengthen them. The church opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. The church no longer has an inferiority complex. The church is clothed with strength and dignity because of what we do. No, because of what Christ has done. The church wears the righteous robe of Christ. And so we don't have to live in fear. We don't have to act like the culture war is ours to win. We can laugh at the days to come. We're clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And so we do what God's called us to do, and we live in the ways God's called us to live. And as we walk in victory and not fear, the church speaks wisdom. The church speaks wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. When a people live this out, when a people live this way, this benediction becomes a reality. You see, the children, the sons and daughters of those gathered here today, and I pray that my sons are included in that number, the children of the church will arise and call her blessed. The children of the church will say, that group of people taught me how to love Jesus. That group of people taught me how to live in the world. That group of people taught me to not be selfish. That group of people taught me to think about other people. That group of people taught me to love like Jesus. And Jesus calls her blessed as well. And Jesus praises her because church, listen, charm is deceptive. Beauty is fleeting. The programs of the church will come and go. The shiny new buildings of the church will come and go. Charm is deceptive. Beauty is fleeting. But a church who fears the Lord, a church who exalts Christ, a church who are committed to the ways of God in the world is to be praised. This is who we are. This is the mirror. Do we see ourselves there? Do we see ourselves the way God sees us? This is how the king sees us. Now, if you are from Bentonville, you know that there are people in this town and they will pay a ton of money for fine art. 
You know that, right? There are people in this town that will pay a ton of money for, for fine art. And one of the things we know about fine art is the value of the art is based on what a person is willing to pay. That's what drives the value of, of fine art. What is someone willing to pay? And as we think about who we can be as the church and who God thinks we are as the church, I would remind you that God was willing to pay. God was willing to give his one and only son so that we can be this people. This vision of the church that is there in Proverbs 31, God said, I am willing to give my one and only son so that a group of people in Bentonville might live that out in their daily life. I will send Jesus as an example. I will give my one and only son so that that work of fine art might become a reality in places like Bentonville, Arkansas, and all around the world. And so as we think about who we are, just as a famous painting's worth is determined by what a collector is willing to pay, the church's value is bestowed by her beholder. And Jesus says she is worth far more than rubies. She's worth far more than diamonds. I would give everything for her. This is what God has done for us so that we can gather on this Mother's Day and not give mom a list of more things that she needs to do. No, friends, we can gather on this second Sunday of May and we can be reminded of what God has done in Christ so that we can be his people in the world, so that we can be a people that reflect his love to the world. His body was broken. His blood was shed. He gave everything we had so that we can be the church.